This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and supporting listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate, or visit Patreon.com backslash TwoHeadedNerd to become a supporter today. Ha-cha! Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat in Omaha, deep below the metro area, it's our pleasure to welcome you to episode 490. We are on the, the countdown, Joe. The countdown to 500. The path it's to episode, five, The road to 500. It's episode 490 of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast, and my name is Matt Ball. And I'm the internet's Joe Patrick. Once upon a time, Matt and I were separate people. But then, upon discovering a giant subterranean stepped pyramid from a long-dead civilization... We were fused together into one body, cursed to review new comics and discuss all the week's nerd news for you, our loyal listeners, and only connection to society. It's true. On this week's skull-crushing episode, Joe and I share reviews of Shanghai Red and Tony Stark colon Iron Man number one. After that, we're going to review eight more comics faster than anyone could take anything away from during the ludicrous speed round. And then we'll pay a visit to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum for an arcane glimpse into the future of next week's comics. And uh, remember those time disruptions I was talking about? That's going to come into play pretty heavily. And finally, we engage in a rapid fire edition of Axkanerd that just might be the death of us both. But before we embarrass our fathers any further, let's wish everybody a happy daddy's day. And then we better talk about this week's No! DC Entertainment has announced that Jeff Johns will exit the roles of president and chief creative officer. Johns is going to stick with DC Entertainment and Warner Brothers in a creative capacity. He's got a a film production deal with the WB and he's getting yet another pop-up imprint at DC Comics. Is it though? Is it a pop-up imprint? I don't know if it, I don't know what I don't pop-up is the term, but he's getting his own distinct imprint, yes. Right. Johns's departure from these positions comes just after President Diane Nelson officially left her position last week. This is what we know about Johns's plans and how it's going to affect DC so far. Jim Lee's going to step into his job as CCO. I don't know if that's going to be good or not. Uh, He's also going to maintain his role as co-publisher. Johns is going to write and produce Warner Brothers planned Green Lantern Corps movie, uh, which is going to be based on his own nine year run on the Green Lantern comic. And Johns confirmed that Hal Jordan and Jon Stewart are going to be co-leads of the film. Which is neat, but it is neat at the same time. That is not what happened in his nine year run. Based on Mac. I know, I know, I know, I know. Uh, John's DC imprint is called The Killing Zone, which Ugh. is so terrible. Yeah. What I, is that? I Ugh. don't, I don't know. Come on. I mean, it's so I'm sure 90s it, bad video game. I feel like you ride dinosaurs and attack each other with guns in The Killing Zone, you know? <laughs> I'm sure that it is a play on The Killing Joke, but I am so over people mining The Killing Joke yeah. for new content. We're done. Uh, though it will, quote, focus on new and lesser known DC characters and titles, which is kind of cool. Fun. I like that. Uh, coming from the imprint in the fall 
of this year is a new Shazam series, which seems like it's going to carry on from his uh, backup stories that he did with Gary Frank some years ago. And this is where they kind of expanded Billy Batson's family. He's with uh, that that family of other orphans. Right. uh, That all get like a part of his power. Apparently, also, this is also the basis for the upcoming Shazam film with Zachary Levi. Is it really? That's what they say. No kidding. So yeah. it's going to be like a Power Rangers, but they all fuse into one dude? Yeah, they'll all be like, it's Shazam time. Oh, and, man. And then they'll shout out their name. They'll be like, Hercules. Uh, okay. Zeus. I don't know. <laughs> I couldn't name all the Greek gods. Yeah, yeah, you didn't even get close. <laughs> I mean, I do know them all. Solomon. You know, you look, we don't got time for that. No, nah, we ain't got no time for that. The other title announced for The Killing Zone is Three Jokers. Here is the description from John's website. Illustrated by the brilliant Jason Fabok, Three Jokers is a mystery unlike anything the Dark Knight has faced. One that will shed a new light on the Batman and those closest to him as everything he's ever believed about the Joker comes into question. Uh, You may recall that the concept of there being three different Jokers first appeared during John's and Fabok's Dark Side War arc of Justice League. I do remember this. And was later mentioned in the DC Universe Rebirth one-shot two years ago and has never been mentioned since. <laughs> yeah, and it it was kind of silly. It was kind of fun. It went away, and now it's gently coming back. Well, I, I mean, I guess? think that it was definitely earmarked for Johns to deal with, but the dude has been... I think his ability to write comics was purposefully limited by his role as chief creative officer like they were like you have to focus on this job okay so let's just get into it Uh, jeff johns stepping down i don't think he was asked to step down i think jeff johns that was just a rumor floating around because yeah i don't buy that diane nelson suddenly quit and the rumor was that like dc entertainment was showing those closest to her the door like and he was given this i this option to resign rather than get fired i will buy that Diane Nelson was asked to step down because DC has like, we've been bitching and screaming for a while. Their entertainment division aside from TV aside, which is kicking ass and chugging along and doing just fine has been bad well, in the movies. I mean, and there's Diane been a Nelson lot of criticism was not in charge of, of Warner brothers films, but I mean, yeah, no, I mean, she was the, right there though. They brought her in to be that person. The she buck was the one stops that, somewhere. Yeah. They made, she was the Harry Potter, you know, genius and they brought her in to be the DC genius and she wasn't. So I can see why they asked her to leave. If that's what happened. I don't think that's what happened with Jeff Johns. I honestly believe that Jeff Johns tried to do the job and did a fine job and said to himself, you know what? I am better off writing comics. I'm better off on the other side. And that's where I want to be from all accounts. Like the dude is genuinely excited to get back to creating full time. Sure. You know, like if I mean, you look, he, if you, if he you got look, promoted out of his job, basically. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Is what happened. And if you look at the last couple of years since he took that position, he writes one comic right now. It hardly ever comes out. It's doomsday yeah. clock. Uh, he wrote the DC universe, uh, rebirth special. And like nothing else. Yeah. I mean, I think he just wants to get, get his hands dirty again. He wants to get back out there, you know? And, yeah, and I'm this excited like for a that. Ton of fun. I, I do like Jeff Johns as a writer. I get why I get the criticisms that people have of his writing. Um, but I think that he has a knack for taking 
the things I love about old continuity and putting a fresh spin on them. Absolutely. And I will also say, uh, I'll take it a step further and say that I think a lot of the criticism of Jeff John's writing started popping up when Jeff John started doing more of this like office work started being more of editorial, you know what I mean? And had to back off from what he was doing, what he truly loved a little bit. I can't prove that. I can't say that there's an issue where that happened. And it was obviously when he took this job, but I think he has not had a chance to really focus on what he does best. And that is writing. And this is exciting. I do think it's a little weird that he leads out with this stuff and not a JSA or a Legion title. Cause you know, you know that's what this guy wants to do. Yes, and I think that JSA and Legion are both tied up into what's going on in Doomsday Clock, Right, and it's going to be another year before that book ends. Probably, and it seems to me like maybe this stuff, we're getting this Batman story with the three Jokers, we're getting this Shazam book, which obviously there's a movie coming. This strikes me as stuff that he wants to finish up, that he wants to clean, you know, clean up. He didn't have a chance to really do. Right, and we haven't seen uh, Shazam I don't think in Rebirth at all. No, absolutely not. I don't remember the last time we did. It's been quite a while and you've got a movie coming, so they need to get on this. Yeah, I, I think this is a good thing. I mean, I am a fan and I hope this kind of rejuvenates him. Yeah. Move on to some more DC news, specifically Heroes, Heroes, Heroes in, in Crisis. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> Batman collaborators Tom King and Clay Mann are working on a new seven-issue DC Comics murder mystery event titled Heroes, Heroes in, in, in Crisis. That will always have echoes when we do it. Yeah, yeah. According to The Hollywood Report, yeah. this series will center around Sanctuary, a trauma center for superheroes that King has hinted at in various comic books and appearances. Heroes in Crisis plays off the DC event tradition of events with Crisis in their name and comes 10 years after DC's final crisis. Thankfully, this sounds like it has nothing to do with any of that crisis bullshit. No, it's much more down to earth. Yeah, this is fun, and I like the idea. Sanctuary is going to be founded by the DC Trinity of Superman, Wonder Woman, and Batman, and Heroes in Crisis will reportedly also feature Harley Quinn and Booster Gold as lead characters, both of which need therapy. <laughs> it's a good place for them. Is it a little ridiculous that Batman sent this place up and should probably immediately check himself in? <laughs> right? You know, it's like... It's like if you sent Drunky McDrunkerson to found like the Alcoholics Anonymous for superheroes, and they're like, "Well, you're you're doing this for you too, right?" And he's yeah, like, right. "What do you, what do you fuck? I don't have a problem. The woman's a fucking problem." <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, I really do love this concept. The idea that uh, the Trinity said, "Look, man, this life takes a toll." Yeah, just because we're superheroes doesn't mean we're not also normal people with like right. uh, with mental health issues. They're basically setting up a DDP yoga studio for superheroes. You know, <laughs> he put out a fact sheet and the more I read at first, I read it and I was like, ah, all right, whatever. And then I read this fact sheet and went, okay, that's pretty fun. Sanctuary is a safe place for superheroes to explore the trauma of their violent lives and deal with the other effects of the fight. They come, they rest, they confess, they move on. Sanctuary was built five years ago when Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman realized that emerging superheroes would sometimes need help dealing with the worst parts of the job. To the outside of the world, Sanctuary appears to be a small, isolated ranch in rural Nebraska. Hey, <laughs> But under the illusion, the ranch is a really sophisticated, futuristic compound based on Kryptonian technology. This is fun. This is fun. This is like where superheroes go for treatment, basically, you know? Yeah. You know, it's kind of <laughs> like, I, I, I love these small ideas of like how things 
in the real world are dealt with in the superhero world, like yeah. damage control or uh, night nurse, right? Like where do superheroes go when they get hurt? Right. And, um, and like a lot of times, like when they go through these super traumatic things and it's like world shaking traumatic bullshit and they're just like, well, back to work. No, you got to wrap your head around that, man. <laughs> you know? So, I mean, the, the thrust behind the story of uh, Heroes in Crisis is not just like here's Sanctuary. It's that there's this murder mystery. Right. And it. Uh, the fact sheet ends with, and now everyone who was at Sanctuary is dead. Oh, shit. Yeah. Uh, yeah and there, is there kind of a Westworld thing going on here? Because everybody that mans Sanctuary is either a robot or a hologram. Yeah, it's run by robots and holograms. Only Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman know it exists other than the patients. I love it. And uh, we better get Red Tornado. We better get visits from every DC Android. Every I want famous the, robot. Yeah, the metal I want man. the metal men there and yeah, shit. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, man. This sounds fun. It does. And so now the rumor is that the story is, is that Harley Quinn and Booster Gold and a third character that Bleeding Cool mentioned, and I he had heard from somebody, Wally West, and that they are the suspects in the murder mystery because they were there getting treatment. Oh, because like all everything going on and it totally makes sense with Wally because and Booster Gold for that matter. What are you going to do if they make Wally a fucking murderer? They're are not going to be all right Wally with that. Murderer. What no. if they do? No, no, what no. if they. OK, nerd bet. No, they're not going to make any of them a murderer, Matt. We None of to, them are going to be guilty. We have to pick one of these three. None of them are. the. <laughs> you have to. No, I'm making you do it. No. Wally West, psychopath. I'm calling We're my shot. We're both going to be wrong. This nerd bet is worthless. <laughs> You don't know that. Okay. Uh, I agree, though. It sounds like a really good story. And I like that it's like, it's an event in air quotes, but it's not like a cosmic universe shaking. It's just like a much more character focused. Yeah, it's more of like a more down to earth emotional crisis with a murder mystery type thing. Yeah, I dig it. I'm into it. Uh, Issue one comes out September 26th. Tell your retail you want it. If you know, if you want it. Can't wait to review this one. It's going to be fun. This just in from the Lucha Libre desk. Prepare to enter the Luchaverse. Uh, I've already been there for a long time, but I'll be honest. (laughs) It's a new shared comics universe featuring top Lucha Libre stars and icons from Cheeto Comics, the production team behind the Lucha Underground comics and Joey Ryan, Big in Japan and Masked Republic who represent the biggest stars of Mexican professional wrestling. I did not understand anything in that sentence. The Luchaverse will feature comics based on Rey Mysterio, Blue Demon Jr., Conan, Los Cadets del Espacio. Los Cadetes del Espacio. Yes, uh, translated to Solar and Super Astro. They're fucking awesome. I love those dudes. (laughs) And the two hottest luchadors of the modern era, the Lucha Brothers, Penta Zero M and Ray Phoenix. Yeah, they're fucking awesome. Okay, so for those of you who are going, what are these guys talking about? Lucha Underground is a wrestling show that is billed like a telenovela, basically. It's like a soap opera, and it is ridiculous. Robert Rodriguez is the executive producer, and the storylines, imagine if the WWE took itself way too seriously. It's wonderful. There's like a guy with a robot hand that punched a dude's head off. There's a dude that's come back from the dead. There are werewolves. (laughs) Like it is 
fucking nuts. It's Mexican wrestling taken to the nth degree. And this stuff lends itself to comics so well. As good as the Dynamite WWE comic has been, I barely care about it. It, it, There's only so many issues of creators writing love letters to wrestlers that I can read. This is just ridiculous enough that you can do anything with it. Literally anything. These guys are already superheroes. They're wearing masks. They have totally ridiculous background stories. This is perfect. So it's coming from the creative team of writers Marco Lopez and Ivan Plaza and artists Ben Harvey, Brian Magne, Diego Simone, and Javier Martin Caba. It's going to kick off with a series of one-shots that bring all the luchadors together amidst an earth-shattering event. A dormant and mysterious power that long ago held the fate of our planet Earth has now been released. Our legends will be put to the test as Cheeto Comics and Mass Republic bring back the glory and tradition of real-life Lucha Libre stars in comic books, taking on epic and unprecedented events based in our real world, mixed with adventure, fantasy, and science fiction. Yeah, not a lot of people know it, but there is a very rich Mexican history of wrestlers in comics and movies. Uh, El Santo, who is one of my favorite of all time. He was uh, the saint, El Santo, and he wore like a silver mask. He was a good guy. And they have these old movies in the 50s and 60s where it would literally open with like a 10 to 15 minute wrestling match with no voiceover whatsoever, just a crowd cheering and Santo wrestling a dude beating him up. And then afterwards, someone from the government would come and be like, Santo, there's a coven of lesbian witches that are killing children in a small Mexican village. We need your help. And then he would get in his Cadillac, drive there and beat up the witches. (laughs) And it was fantastic stuff. (laughs) He does what needs to be done. Yeah. You know, he does the dirty work. This stuff, I hope they really lean into it and they go for that ridiculous pulpy feel of the old Mexican Lucha Libre comics and movies and shit. I have a very special place in my heart for it. Super excited for this. Uh, the Rey Mysterio Blue Demon Jr. and Lucha Brothers One shot specials are available this year with the Mass Republic Luchaverse Rey Mysterio One Shot debuting at San Diego Comic Con. So, of course, there's going to be a collectible mask, I'm sure. There's going to be 15 different covers. The Conan and Los Cadetes del Espacio one-shots will be released late 2018 and early 2019. Watch for these. I cannot wait for these. I love that they have a bunch of Latin American creators on it, too. You know these guys are gushing over this. They can't wait to work on it. And if you haven't watched Lucha Underground, do it now. You will binge that shit so fast. It is wonderful. Where can I find it? Lucha Underground is on Netflix. Whoa, okay. Yeah, it used to be on Spike TV, and then they signed a deal with Netflix. And I think it still airs live on Spike TV. Don't quote me on that. I've only been watching it on Netflix. But you can burn through all of it, and you will love it. I might check it out. Oh, it's so much fun. So there's your nerd news and analysis for this week. And let me tell you what, there was a lot of news this week. There was. A new comic book company is launching called Ahoy Comics, which sounds really great. Stan Lee's uh, Elder Abuse Saga is getting fucking insane. Yeah. But I knew that Matt would want to talk about the Luchaverse, so we got to draw the line somewhere. <laughs> head to THN cover to cover if you want to hear us talk about that other stuff. And be sure to head over to the THN forums and let us know what you thought about these stories and everything we missed. 
You can find them by heading to TwoHeadedNerd.com and clicking on the forums button. Joe, these spectral readings are off the charts here. Something is happening, and it looks like we're getting ported. I'm not sure where, but we don't have a choice here. We are going. Oh, my God. Whoa. Joe, you're dressed different. Oh, man. Like, my shoes are, like, uh, velcroing themselves. My pants are on backwards. What, what is going is on? Going on? <laughs> Joe Patrick, why don't you get us started this week? With your super special review of a comic book that just happens to be on the shelves today! What? Time jump! Today! Time jump! Oh my god. Ha <laughs> ha! We did it. My comic uh, review for this week is Amazing Spider-Man number 801 from Marvel Comics. It's written by Dan Slott, with art by Marcos Martin, colors by... Munza Vicente and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. That's a virtual calligraphy if you don't know. It's Munsta, isn't it? Munsta? Munza. Yeah, Munsta? Isn't there I don't a think there's a second T. I thought there was, like Eddie Munsta. Munsta. If you were from Jersey, you know? It's the end of an era as Dan Slott says goodbye to the amazing Spider Man after a decade long roller coaster ride, but. Instead of ending with a huge finale that answers all of our lingering questions and sets things up for the next creative team, Slot leaves us with a small character piece that resonates across Spider-Man's entire history. This issue takes place from the perspective of Kenneth Kincaid Jr., a man whose life is irrevocably altered by Spider-Man's presence just weeks after Peter learned that with great power comes great responsibility. Slot has shown us the path Kenneth's life has taken in the decade or so since he crossed paths with the wall crawler, saying goodbye to an ailing parent, raising children, and celebrating his wife. The two have a chance to meet in the present day, and Kenneth finally has a chance to let Spidey know the impact he's had on Kenneth's life and the life of his family. The whole thing is about as subtle as a brick. But Slot's complete sincerity makes it work. Marcos Martin and Munsta Vincente's... Pardon I believe me. it is Munsa. Munsa. M-U-N-T-S-A. Munsa. That's what I, I was wrong. It's not Munsta. As bad as I want it to be, it's <laughs> Munsa. <laughs> Marcos Martin and Munsa Vincente were the perfect choice to help Slot say goodbye to the webhead. Martin's art invokes Steve Ditko at every turn, especially on the title page splash that homages the cover to Amazing Fantasy 15. I'm very impressed with the quality of modern comic book coloring, but I absolutely love the more simple, flat approach that Vincente takes here. And it's the perfect complement to Martin's classic line work. This issue ended on the perfect note, letting the audience know that Spidey and by extension Slot himself will always be there for the reader. I can't think of a better way to say goodbye to the writer that added so much to the Spider-Man mythos. Amazing Spider-Man 801 gets a huge buy it. I'm glad you said Ditko because 
as I looked at this, that's all I could think. I, I've seen work from both of these artists before, and it's always been there. But this was absolutely Steve Ditko times 10. Especially and, at the beginning. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. And it was just beautiful to look at. It was sappy, and it was ridiculous, and it was the exact opposite of what I thought I was going to get for Slot's final issue of Spider-Man, but it was perfect. It was a cute Spider-Man story where we don't see Spider-Man saving the world. Spider-Man's not fighting Wolverine. Spider-Man isn't going into space to Captain America. Spider-Man is breaking up a robbery and helping a guy get to where he needs to be in time to see his father die. Yeah, and, and he's was, just, he's affecting was, one life. And it was beautiful. And later on, that guy meets Spidey and doesn't make a big thing out of it. You know, <laughs> like just kind of lays it down because he's like, I really like that guy. He does a good job. This, it, this was just a great issue and it was feel good. It was ridiculous. It was perfectly drawn. It's a huge buy it for me as well. Thank you, Dan Slott. You killed it on this run. And, and just doing something like this, when people complained about how much Dan Slott changed the character and shifted the character and moved the character away from what we all loved about Spider-Man, this is Dan Slott showing, hey, shut the fuck up, troll. I know exactly who Spider-Man is. Right. And, and that's just it, is that he, he never- He just killed it. He never changed Spider-Man. He never no. altered the character beyond what we recognize no. him to be. He just took him on a journey. Yes, exactly. And, and that's what these people that got so pissed off need to understand. We can do this. We can have fun with our characters. We can do crazy shit with our characters that you would never believe they do as long as they stay in the focus of said character. And Dan Slott, in my opinion, never lost that. He inherently understands Peter Parker and he inherently understands Spider-Man. This was a near perfect issue and it gets a huge buy it. Same here. It's all downhill from here. <laughs> we'll see. It might be great. We don't know. It might be great. We'll I'm see. hoping for the best. We'll see. What did you review this week? My review was not so cute. It's called Shanghai Red, number one from Image. It's written by Christopher Sabella with art by Josh Hickson. It was 32 pages for $3.99. Here is the solicit. Red is one of hundreds shanghaied out of Portland in the late 1800s. Drugged, kidnapped, and sold to a ship's captain, she wakes up on a boat headed out to sea for years, unable to escape or even reveal who she truly is. Now, she's coming back in a boat covered in blood to find her family and track down the men responsible for stealing her life out from under her. Eisner nominated yada, 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 yada. Bring you the tale of revenge, family, and identity that stretches from the deck of a ship outside Shanghai all the way to the bleak streets and secret tunnels of Portland, Oregon. If you are looking for a more realistic and grounded pirate story than any of the stupid pirates of the Caribbean movies, then you're in luck, because Shanghai Red seems to have all the trappings of a Nick Cave murder ballad rooted in history and bloody myth. Writer and professional crazy person Christopher Sabella has obviously done some homework here and paints a very convincing picture of life aboard a pirate vessel for kidnapped conscripts. Spoiler alert. It sucks. When the crew of conscripts is given a choice of freedom somewhere on the planet or joining the ship as a paid member, Red, our main character, makes a wholly different choice and decides to murder most of the crew. Red is far from a helpless captive, and Sabella is hinting at her violent past in some brief flashback scenes. She's also not a pirate herself and singly focused on getting back to her family, who might also be in trouble. 
I like that Red is damaged. I like that she's a character that's not willing to reveal much to her crewmates, who she doesn't trust because they've also proved to be murderers that went along with her plot. Josh Hickson's art is as violent and tense as this story, and it works very well, illustrating the chaos of the mutiny. He also has these silent flashback pages where he shows us glimpses of Red's past, which worked very well to give the reader hints at just how damaged this character might really be. This was mean, it was bloody, and it was a vicious start to a series that looks like it's going to be quality, feel-bad comic booking. I like that Sabella is stepping out of his normal fiction and into historical fiction here. He's a writer that's really coming into his storytelling, and I'm looking forward to more Shanghai Red. I'm giving this a really big buy it. It was not necessarily fun or feel-good, but goddamn, was this a good story. Oh yeah, totally. It was really great. I honestly didn't know what to expect from this book. I've been hearing uh, Sabella talk it up on social media, and our friend Andrea Shockling even helped out with edits on the book. Oh, I didn't know that. It's true. Really? Yep. Uh, But this was really great. Super compelling. I didn't expect the twist with Red's identity, and I'm very interested in seeing where it goes once they land in Portland. Yeah, it's a huge buy for me as well. The art was amazing. Yeah, really cool. And not in like a technical way. The way Hickson draws this book almost spastically. It, it, it's it's crazy I mean, it's how it very, looks. It's not abstract, but it's very no. sparse. You know, it's not like yes. super detailed line work. But when there is like violence taking place. His line work goes insane. It looks like he freaked out while he was drawing these murder scenes. Like the, the, the panels where red runs around with the crew members and just murders everyone. And like every panel, there is a murder taking place and blood is spraying onto the panels and it's out of focus and it's crazy. And you could just feel how nuts it is. Oh, I loved it. Yep. I thought it was really good. Of course, we'll post our written reviews over at TwoEditedNerd.com so you nerds can tell us just how badly wrong we got it and how sick we are for loving this violence as much as we do. It's just how we were raised, okay? It was nurture, not nature. There you go. There you go. Remember last week when Matt was talking about time disruptions in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum? Well, it turns out he was right. For a change. Yeah, and now... He and I find ourselves being pulled into a microscopic black hole that dumps off in the future. That's right, motherfuckers. We're reviewing eight more comics that came out today during the Ludicrous Speed Round. Ludicrous Speed! Go! Super Teens versus Crusaders, number one from Archie. I was a huge fan of Archie growing up, but superheroes were always my number one love. That's why I got so thrilled every time I got to read a story where the Archie gang transformed into the super teens. Oh, God. Now they're back. (laughs) Head to head with the old school version of the Mighty Crusaders, known to you kids as the Red Circle characters these days. Oh, boy. The story by Ian Flynn is a ton of fun, and the art by Kelsey Shannon is legit gorgeous. It's very good. There's a Charles Atlas parody at the back of the book that made me laugh out loud. 
Super Teens versus Crusaders was just good, clean, fun. Buy it. Oh my god. <laughs> Lost City Explorers, number one from Aftershock. When a history professor goes missing after a freak accident at a dig site, his daughter, Helena, who goes by hell, isn't buying the company line and may be her dad's only hope. Wait, she goes by hell? Yeah, she goes by hell. It's kind of Zach Kaplan writes frustrated teen dialogue and family drama really well in this story that might be insinuating that Atlantis is buried under New York, I guess. Great art by Alvaro Saraseca, who I dug on the most recent Turok relaunch, too. I'm giving Lost City Explorers a buy it. Look, Atlantis might be under there. You don't know. We don't know. I mean, it could be. Regular show, 25 years later, number one from Boom! Mordecai and Rigby are back, and now they're totally mature adults with families. Oh, my God. (laughs) That works out just as well as you'd expect, and hijinks ensue. This is a perfectly fine story by Christopher Hastings that matches the tone and humor of the show, and the art by Anna Johnstone is a perfect fit. If you're a regular show fan, you'll dig this. If you're unfamiliar, then this might not be the best entry point. I'm giving it a skim it. There's no way this is an entry point if you're not familiar. Yeah, no, not at all. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) Buffy the Vampire Slayer Season 12, number 104 from Dark Horse. The Slayer returns for another season, or at least a mini-series. And Carl Story, an artist that I really like, just feels way off his game here. Normally he's just an inker. Well, he's done some art stuff that I've liked as well, and this just... There are some really weird art choices that took me out of the story, which at this point also feels like both writers Christos Gage and Joss Whedon are kind of phoning it in. Buffy is 30, Dawn is married to Xander, they have a baby, there's a vamp from the future that knows the past, Angel is a girlfriend that also travels time, and time travel where it doesn't belong makes for lazy storytelling in my opinion. I wanted to love this, but I kind of ended up yawning and tilting my head at the art. I'm giving it a skim it because it wasn't terrible, but I can see why we're not doing a full series anymore. X-Men Gold, number 30 from Marvel. They call it gold because it's so goddamn good, right, Joe Patrick? <laughs> the wedding of Kitty Pride and Colossus is finally here. Finally! Or is it? What? Thanks a whole lot to Marvel for spoiling the big twist in this issue before it even hit the stands. <laughs> they are good at that, though. I'll give yeah, them that. They are. <laughs> Still, I thought that this was a really enjoyable story by writer Mark Guggenheim and artist David Marquez. It felt like the best of classic X-Men stories, heavy on characterization and forward development. Marquez's art is practically wasted on an issue full of talking heads, but it's brilliant, of course. There's a big twist in this issue that will set Matt Baum's teeth on edge. I can't even. I don't even want to know. But I loved it. It's just a shame that Marvel decided that desperately trying for a few extra sales was more important than reader enjoyment. For that reason, X-Men Gold number 30 gets a skim it. I think I'm officially allergic to Mark Guggenheim X-Men. I think it's true. I mean, I, I don't did know if I really can... like it. I don't know if I can read it. Tank Girl All-Stars number one of four from Titan. This issue celebrates the 30th anniversary of TG with a bunch of short stories by creators new and old. Some were solid, others not so much. The big mystery of how Tank Girl got her tank was finally solved, but I would call it anticlimactic at best. TG fans will have a 
pretty good time here. I personally didn't care too much and found it to be 50-50 like most anthologies at best. Tank Girl All-Stars gets a skim it, and I will say she's still cute as a grenade even at 30. Tony Stark, Iron Man from Marvel. As Dan Slott closes one door, he opens another as he takes the reins of the ongoing Iron Man title. Slot introduces an idea that I'm not sure has been seen before, that Iron Man is a team, not an individual. Well, they kind of tried this before. I don't know if they have. And the armor is dependent on the situation. He doesn't just have one suit of armor. It's just like, you're fighting Fin Fang Foom, you've got a giant mech. I love it. It opens the door to a fun supporting cast and a plot that harkens back to the best old school comics that's my favorite thing about slot as a writer his ability to take ridiculous concepts from the past and give them a fun spin in the face of a way too serious modern comic book storytelling totally agree my favorite thing about iron man is he has lots and lots and lots of suits of armor and i like the dance slots playing on that valerio skeety's art is phenomenal He's a perfect fit for this new era of Iron Man. I'm giving it a huge buy it. Me too. Huge buy it for me. I loved this. Infinity War Black Widow number one from Marvel. While I wasn't paying attention, Wolvie gave Black Widow his Infinity Stone and she's been using it to teleport. Like line of sight teleportation. Here she's thwarting plans by Brian Braddock's evil brother who's using children to help him hump the stone. And while this issue feels pretty removed from anything to do with the upcoming... Infinity, whatever it's going to be called. It is a very well-written Black Widow story with great art by Nick Varela and Brent Schoonover. I'm giving it a buy it, but I kind of doing so as just a good standalone Black Widow issue. It's going to be called Infinity Wars. Okay. That is your Luke speed run. The sound of an exorcism gone bad which I can only imagine was really bad if it's making that sound, as seen in the pages of BPRD, The Devil You Know, number seven, this onomatopoeia of the week was submitted by Anno Sionis via Facebook. You may have heard of this guy. He submitted about 30 of them. If you want to submit an onomatopoeia of the week, shake off your demons and then hit us up on any of our social media or shoot us an email to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. As Matt explained earlier, we find ourselves smack dab in the middle of a time jump episode where, inexplicably, Matt and I were shunted one week into the future. We think. Maybe. (laughs) We're taking a moment to sit down in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum to do the math and figure out just exactly where we ended up. Matt, while I try to balance the coefficient of our variation... Whoa there, egghead. Hey, why don't you tell the nerds what you're excited to read... I was an English major, so I don't know no math. (laughs) Next week, I'm excited for Charlie's Angels, number one, from Dynamite, written by John Lehman. Listen to this team. Written by John Lehman of Chew fame, with art by Joe Isma. 32 pages for $3.99. Here's your solicit. The Angels are back, baby! The original Angels, Jill, Kelly, and Sabrina, travel back to the swinging 70s and revisit the butt kicking, crime-fighting, mold-breaking lady detectives who took 70s TV by storm. Ready to do the same to comics 40 years later. 
Break out your bell bottoms, feather your hair, and jump back to the era of peanut farmer presidents, gargantuan gas guzzlers, and foxy female detectives for a globetrotting adventure that's simply too big and epic for the 70s era boob tube. Written by elderly Eisner winning and solicitation writing former superstar John Lehman <laughs> with art by his scrappy but lovable youngster pal Joe Eisma. This is one comic you don't dare to miss. <laughs> Uh, these guys obviously love Charlie's Angels as much as I loved the old Charlie's Angels. I think this is going to be a really good time. Joey, what is your pick? My pick is Multiple Man, number one from Marvel Comics, written by Matthew Rosenberg with art by Andy McDonald. It's 32 pages for $3.99. Here's your solicit. Matthew Rosenberg and Andy McDonald bring Multiple Man back from the dead. Sort of. Maybe? <laughs> A handful of people's favorite X-Man, Jamie Madrox, was alive for a while. Then he was dead. Now he's not. But he will be again if he doesn't kill himself trying to make sure he doesn't die. It makes sense when you read it, trust us. In his fight not to die, Jamie has stumbled across a threat even greater than his own death. But fixing it might make it worse. Can he save the world from himself? On top of all that, the X-Men are mad at him now, and a mysterious new group of foes is after him, too. We can't tell you who they are, but they're pretty great. <laughs> well, they're obviously taking this very seriously. Uh, these two solicits are very good. <laughs> yeah, really. Uh, I love the multiple man. I love him. I do too. And, and killing I love him was, Matthew Rosenberg. Killing multiple man was such a dumb mistake. Yes. Because it's like, first of all, you just built up a cult around the guy that really like him. The majority of people still didn't give a shit. And so when you killed him, you just pissed people off. That's all you did. Yeah, I agree. Shameful. The THN trade of the week goes to Son of Hitler. It's a hardcover graphic novel from Image Comics written by Anthony Del Cole and Jeff Moore with art by Jeff McCumsey, it's 192 pages for $24.99. This is where Mapalm will go, what a steal. Here's your solicit. A story so wild it could only be true. Maybe. The never-before-told tale of Adolf Hitler's secret child and how this son was the key to ending World War II is now revealed in this audacious graphic novel, based upon one of history's most intriguing rumors. In 1944 occupied France, a rogue British agent reveals to a baker's young assistant the true identity of his father, thus recruiting him for a dangerous mission that will end the greatest threat of World War II. Out of respect to the innocent and the dead, all the names in this story have been changed, except for one. This action-packed ride in the vein of Inglorious Bastards and The Boys from Brazil is brought to life by acclaimed writer Anthony Del Cole. You may know him from Assassin's Creed and Kill Shakespeare. New York Times bestselling cartoonist Jeff McComsey. You may know him from Fubar and Flutter. And newcomer Jeff Moore. Okay, then. Sounds cool. Sounds great. So there's our picks for Wednesday, June 27th. If these comics sound intriguing, then call your retailer or better yet, head to your friendly neighborhood comic shop and add these books to your pull file now. 
Well, kids, it's been a minute, but Joe and I will once again prove why we're the best there is at what we do, and what we do is nerdy! We put out an invitation for your questions, and wow, did you deliver. Joe, let's get this singlet off, because it's going to be too hot in here for clothes. It's time for a rapid-fire round of Ask a Nerd! I always do Ask a Nerd in the nude. That's <laughs> it's a just how we do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you have to. Let's start with one from our very own Cameron Labrillo, Carl Smith. How is a Punisher still alive, healthy, and free in a world filled with demigods? I would I'd take it further and say demigods and gods. Uh, That's a good, it's a solid question. Because of <laughs> comics. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, the, an- the short answer is because comics. The even shorter answer is because he's just that good, you know? I mean, <laughs> I mean, this is a very similar question to, like, how come the Flash doesn't just take five minutes and round up every supervillain? Right, you know. It's because like, it would be no fun if that were the case. Yeah, I mean, the Punisher, if you want to look at it this way, the Punisher is that friggin' tough. And we have seen him go after, like, real heroes and gods and stuff. Like, he was trying to kill the Sentry at one point, you know? The uh, Punisher is very, very good at what he does. That's a, why he's still around. There's a one-shot by Garth Ennis and Doug Braithwaite called The Punisher Kills the Marvel Universe. Yeah. Uh, and Garth Ennis makes a very convincing argument for the fact that he could actually do it. <laughs> yeah, it was great, actually. Go and pick that comic up if you can find it. It's not as, like, wacky as the Deadpool killing the Marvel Universe once. No, no. But it, yes, he makes a very compelling argument for if Punisher wanted to murder everyone in the Marvel Universe, he might be able to. Yeah, Our but next I mean, question. The, the legit reason is because it's comics, man. And if sure. Punisher's a popular character, and that's just how it goes. Rapid fire. Next, Next question from Zach Hollowell. Why was everyone cool with Hal Jordan after he went murderous, even if he was possessed? Because this is a great question. Now, I, first set it up. Where did it come from? This came from uh, Green Lantern Rebirth by Jeff Johns. Yes. And uh, it revealed that Parallax, which was Hal Jordan's identity when he went crazy, was actually a separate entity born of the uh, yellow energy source of fear that Sinestro controls. Now, Parallax didn't, okay, didn't just go crazy. He extinguished the goddamn sun. <laughs> no, no, no. He relit the sun. Oh, that's right. He re- he relit the sun. That's right. right. He um, murdered the Green Lantern Corps. He, he, yeah, he absorbed all of the central power battery, leaving. Killed the Guardians, put on all the rings. Yep. Killed Kilowog. Like, lots of Green Lanterns died. He stranded those that survived. It was a big bad deal. Uh, but Jeff Johns revealed in his quest to redeem Hal Jordan that he was not responsible for his actions, that he was being influenced by this fear entity that more or less treated him like a puppet. Right. Um, and so the reason why Hal was able to come back after such a horrible crime is that, whoops, it wasn't really his fault. <laughs> um, however... Batman took a very long time to get over it and trust yeah. Hal again. So they didn't like complete, completely forgive him right away. Yeah, to be fair, it was the Mamby Pambies, like Superman and Wonder Woman, who were like, hey, he's our friend. We got to give him a chance. And Batman was like, hmm, he almost killed the universe. So right. <laughs> I'm going to watch this In fact, guy. he did kill the universe in Zero <laughs> Hour. Hal Jordan yeah. erased everything. They had to like cause a new Big Bang. So, again, short answer, because comics. Comics. There you go, Zach. (laughs) Our next question comes from John Littrell. Who was the first legacy comic book character to inherit the mantle of their mentor? I'm saying Green Lantern. 
What do you mean? I mean, not, it wasn't their mentor, I guess, but like we had a golden age Green Lantern and then a, like the birth of the Silver Age okay. was Hal Jordan becoming Green Lantern. I'm going to I'm going to dis I'm going to disallow golden age characters and Silver Age characters because Okay. okay. In the beginning when the Silver Age launched, they did not have an implicit connection. It was just a reboot. That's fair. However, uh, they did eventually in Flash uh, introduce the idea of the multiverse linking all the characters together. For the first true passing of the torch in like the same comic book universe, I think it's the Flash. I think it's Wally West. Maybe. There was Wally and then there was Green Arrow and then there was Green Lantern. But I think you're right. Wally was. Well, I mean, Green Lanterns come and go. As far as the main star, I'm talking Kyle Rayner. When like sure, yeah, 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 you know that, yeah. Well, but I think uh, you're Kyle right. Rayner, I, Kyle Rayner would have been right about the same time, right? As Wally? Yeah, because Ollie was still alive during Zero Hour. Yeah. Oh, and also briefly, Dick Grayson became Batman when Bruce broke his back. Doesn't count. Of course, it counts. No, it doesn't count. That was brief. That was very short. But I think it's Wally. Like there, there have been, there were lots of like imaginary stories. I think you're right too. Otherwise, we got to say Azrael because Azrael became Batman before Bruce did, or Dick. You mean? I'm sorry, before Dick did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Wally became Wally became the Flash in 1986, and so uh, none of that other stuff happened until the 90s. Yeah. So it's got to be Wally. I agree. I, Moving I, on. I might be wrong. There might be like some Silver Age or Golden Age characters. There's no that time I'm for fact checking. This is rapid fire. No right. time for fact checking. All right. Next question. Anno Cyanus. Is it wrong to think that the organic web shooters from the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies make more sense than the mechanical ones? No. No. I don't think it's wrong. No, it's not. It, like <laughs> they do make more sense than yes. the idea that this broke high school student can invent. Not only web fluid, but a very complex, portable spinneret device that he can wear around his wrist. I'll take it further than that. I'll say, okay, in the world where Peter Parker's a very smart guy and he lives with super geniuses, it's not impossible that he does that, that he does that. It is impossible that he's not a fucking billionaire for doing so. You know what I mean? There was a story in the eighties <laughs> that addressed There was a story in the eighties that addressed why uh, Spider-Man didn't just sell the patent for his web fluid. And uh, he like he tried to sell it to 3M and they didn't want it because it was temporary. It dissolves. Right. Like, what would we ever use that for? I mean, other than, you know, crowd control right. or surgery as, or, right. you know, as like a million is, other things or saving astronauts in outer fucking space. Right. You know, like, <laughs> like there's not a market for glue that uh, wears off. Come on. Right. I hope that R&D guy got fired big um, time. You know, so, <laughs> while I agree, it doesn't uh, it's not wrong to think that the organic ones make more sense. I think it takes away from the Silver Age fun of the original I suppose. So. But he but we both agree. Yeah. He's not wrong. No. Organic web shooters. Darren Neely is going to round us out with our final four questions. These are quick. No five, discussion. Five five questions. Five questions. We start with bags and boards or unruly stacks. I'm saying Un- bags and boards or you're a fucking monster. Unruly stacks, man. I was a bad get, collector. Get out of here. Ben Affleck, Daredevil, pro or con? It had its moments, but overall, it's a terrible movie. No, it was bad, and we've learned that Ben Affleck can't be a superhero. Sci-fi or magic? Magic. Oh, no, no, sci-fi. Sorry, sci-fi. Wrong. The answer is both, okay? I (laughs) love magic in my sci-fi. Gritty and grounded or action-adventure? Action-adventure. 
wrong again? The answer is both. Okay. They're apples and oranges. We can't pick one or the other. Finally. You're doing this, this wrong. This is a tough one. Tundro or Igu? Igu. These are Herculoids here. Dude, a gi- giant rock gorilla? Igu. Giant rock gorilla is pretty cool. But I got something for Rhino that shoots rocks out of his nose, dude. <laughs> I love Tundra. <laughs> Sorry. And I'm an ego man. You could ride Tundra. You know uh, what I'm saying? But D- Darren, in his res- in his post, did also say uh, that it was a trick question. The answer is both. So Okay. Yeah, fair enough. I- I'll give him both there as well. <laughs> that was awesome. Our, our very first... Rapid fire Ask a Nerd Round. And I had a really good time with it. Thank you for submitting your questions. Anosianis, John Latrell, Darren Neely, Zach Hollowell, Carl Smith. You are all nerds of the first quarter, and we appreciate it. You can, of course, submit a question to us at any time. Twitter at gmail.com. Shoot us a question on Twitter. Hit us on Facebook. We have this segment. It's called Ask a Nerd. Uh, there's a whole section, section of the forums devoted to it. That's true. Go to the forums, plug your question in there. These are meant to be no boundaries. I want to know what the deal is. Questions about comics. Does the, does the thing take a crap? You know, things like that. <laughs> Weird stuff. Can and Superman pick up Thor's hammer? Stuff like that. You know, let's get into it. Yeah, the answer is yes. Uh, and thank you to everybody else that submitted a question that didn't make it onto the show. Uh, we did get a, a lot of them. We did. So, really appreciate it. We only got so much time here, folks. Sorry. Excelsior! Oh. That is it for THN 490. But before we get out of here, Joe Patrick, tell these nerds about the new question of the week. Rather, ask them a new question of the week. I will. This week's question comes from Phil Lee via the THN forums. He says... Hey nerds, I played the new God of War video game recently and couldn't stop thinking how much more awesome it would be if it were a Marvel's Thor game instead. Oh, absolutely. I dreamt of Thor, perfectly crafted from billions of pixels, wielding Yarnbjorn first, then the Mace Thunderstrike, and graduating to Mjolnir while fighting oh, epic cinematic battles against his greatest foes like the Midgard Serpent and the Dark Elves. I will pre-order this now. <laughs> what untapped comic property would you like to see translated into a video game? What game type or game engine would it use? A Sergeant Rock Call of Duty style first person shooter? An Iron Fist Tekken-esque tournament fighter with all of the Marvel martial artists? Maybe an Amethyst puzzle game in the vein of Bejeweled. See, I would have gone to Chris Dar, but Amethyst is fine. <laughs> this is such a good question. It really is. And obviously the answer is a Flash game in the style of any Sonic game, right? Where it's just oh, a yeah. Flash running through loops and stuff. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. THN is a listener-supported podcast, and we want to thank everyone that shells out their hard-earned cash that they probably should be spending at their local comic book store every week. By supporting this show on PayPal and Patreon without you nerds, we can't afford the stacks of quarters we pump in to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Turtles in Time stand-up video game that sits in our ziggurat. Why are we paying for this? We own it. Yeah, Why we, are we paying for this? Can we, like, rig it? <laughs> Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to illustrator Daniel White at Birds in Boxes on Twitter. Daniel's a new listener who reached out to let us know how much he enjoys the show. Word to you, Daniel, and welcome aboard. The rest of you should get over to his Twitter feed and check out his amazing work. He's very talented. He's got a great Twitter name, too, Birds in Boxes. I like that. I love it. 
Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer just might put your bird in a box. This is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off.